On this episode of the Ball Talk Pod, nine-time New York Times best-selling author Jeff Perlman joined the show to discuss his new book about the Kobe Shaq Lakers and his thoughts on the NBA playoffs. This is the Ball Talk Pod. Evan Kinsey, starting now. Welcome and thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Ball Talk Pod. As always, this is your host, Evan Kinsey, and today I'm joined by nine-time New York Times best-selling author and the host of the Two Riders Slinging Yang podcast, Jeff Perlman. Jeff, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. So you're on the show today to talk a bit about your new book, Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty. And I believe that releases a week from the day. Um, it's about the early 2000s, Kobe, Shaq, Lakers, one of my favorite time periods for Laker basketball. Can you give my viewers some insight on what they can expect from this book? Well, it chronicles 96 to 04. So obviously it's a lot of Shaq, it's a lot of Kobe, it's a lot of that relationship. But I really, you know, to me it's just as much about all the supporting players, the Rick Foxes and the Robert Ories, the Tyron Lues and the, you know, Derek Fishers, Mike Pembroke. It's just really a deep dive into a fascinating, fascinating era. Um, and I finished it before Kobe's passing. So it's not, I guess, for good or for bad. It's not an ode to Kobe. You know, it was, a, it was kind of a period when a lot of players actually struggled with him and he was a guy developing himself and his voice and was growing and went through a lot of growing pains. So it's a, it's a pretty real look at that period, you know. Yeah, and uh, one thing about, like, those early years before Kobe and Shaq, do you talk about a whole of that, a lot of that in the book, the uh, Nick Van Exel? I know they played a little bit with Kobe and Shaq, but did you talk any a little bit about the years prior to Shaq arriving and Kobe being drafted by the Lakers? Of course. My um... – my favorite, in a lot of ways, my favorite year was the year before Kobe and Shaq arrived because it was super weird. You had um, Magic Johnson come out of retirement yeah. and play for Dell Harris. And, you know, he came out of retirement, and the deal was, look, you're not going to be our point guard. You're going to come off the bench at first. You're going to play it forward. And Magic was like, okay, okay, okay. And he quickly got tired of it. You know, he quickly was like, I don't, I don't really like this. And it was a very strange fit. The same season, Cedric Ceballos, who was their leading scorer, just went AWOL and was spotted uh, jet skiing. Um, the whole season was weird, and, but it really led to Shaq and Kobe. Like the end of that season, which was massing, I'm done with this, I'm not doing this anymore, led to the arrival of Kobe and Shaq. So uh, I love the preamble. And I think it's interesting Van Exel, Eddie Jones, Shaq, Kobe. If you take that whole span of when Shaq and Kobe were together, I think that was probably the most talented foursome they had. Mm-hmm. It just didn't really work. But Van Exel, Eddie Jones, Shaq, and Kobe was a freaking powerhouse of four players. If you think about it, I've always like I've always been super interested in that year. Um, I think it's really interesting how Magic did come out of retirement that year, and that's always been one of my favorite uh, stories in NBA history. From researching on this book, I've always wondered this, so I'm asking you if you've heard anything about it. Was there any chance that Magic Johnson was going to come back the next year and there could possibly have been a, a big three of Magic, Kobe, and Shaq? No. Uh, he was done. He That year was a nightmare for him in a lot of ways. It really was. It was kind of like, uh, wait, how old are you? I'm 18. Okay, great. You know how I'm 48, and you know how people my age, 
will be like, ugh, kids today, or like, ugh, millennials. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, I feel like that was magic on that team. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of, ugh, these guys. Like, he was used to playing with Kareem and James Worthy and Michael Cooper, and now he has these 20-somethings who aren't showing him the proper respect and just kind of, you know, they, they're not that interested. And I just, by the end of that year, he was like, ugh, I don't, I don't want to deal with this crap. This is, I'm, I'm too old for this. So that was it. Yeah, um, He did have a couple of his teammates. I think he did play with Eldon Campbell in 91, mm-hmm. and he did have Vladi Divac. But, you know, those uh, younger guys, Eddie Jones and uh, Nick Van Exel, really the heart of the team, along with Cedric Sabalos, weren't around. So I'd say, I'd say that really was a big um, change for him. He had older Kareem. Um, was with Worthy, but they weren't that far off on age because Magic only played a couple years, and Worthy was there in North Carolina for a while. Um, yeah. So what was your favorite part about writing this book? I know there's a lot of um, really interesting parts. Uh, you covered the whole eight years, and you could write a whole book about just one year, but you did a whole collection. What was your favorite part about this book? Well, I had a really good Phil Jackson experience. I always tell people it's like I won the – bidding on a spend a day with mm-hmm. Phil Jackson. I, um, Jeannie Bossy, owner of the Lakers, set it up for me where she just, well, she introduced me to Phil Jackson over email and I, he wanted to do it over the phone and I said, can I come out to Montana? And he was like, uh, yeah, okay. And I flew out to Montana uh, from my home in California and the first thing he said to me, I thanked him and he said, don't thank me, I'm doing it for Jeannie. And I thought, well, this is going to be quick. And we ended up, he's, he took me on a three hour drive around the lake we stopped for lunch. We went back to his house. He took a nap. I left. We met for dinner. It was like an eight-hour day with Phil Jackson, and it That's was awesome. awesome. It was awesome just as a human being, spending time in beautiful Montana. It was awesome from a guy writing a book. That here's the here's one of the centerpieces, and you get to spend all this time with him. It was just really cool. And at the end, it's days like that, like that, for all the grind of being a journalist. It's days like those where you're just really happy. This is your job. Yeah, and um. You said you spent eight hours with Phil Jackson. Uh, I saw on your Twitter page you're doing the, um, you're sharing your top eight favorite interviews from this book, and then yeah. I think today was today Dale Harris or is that yesterday? No, that was yesterday. Yesterday okay. was Dale Harris. Well, I watched that one, and it, you said you spend like six to eight hours with Dale Harris, and um, you talked about how that really bothered him that Kobe didn't invite him to attend his final NBA game against the Jazz. Um, talk about the Dell Harris dynamic with that. You know that um, from the stories I've read, I mean, I'm obviously not old enough to really uh, remember this time, but, um, you know, Dell Harris to Phil Jackson, uh, how did that come about? I know Kobe didn't, and Harris didn't have a very good relationship, but um, how did that, yeah. um, moving on from Harris, how did that come about? Well, I think one thing that people do unfairly is they don't think of Dale Harris for what he was, which was a great NBA coach. Yep. Like Dale Harris was a great, not a good NBA coach, a great NBA coach, but he had a fatal flaw, which is he talked too much. <laughs> like he would just go on and on and on. And I think that worked with past generations. Like that probably would have worked with Magic and Kareem and those guys, or Larry Bird and Parrish, Bernard King, like older players, okay. Didn't work with modern players. And he's coaching these guys and Kobe and Shaq and Nick Van Axel hated Del Harris. There just was no patience for it. Um, but what Del Harris did really well is he was very patient with a young Kobe Bryant and he was unwilling to acquiesce to sort of the needs of others and the wants of others to see Kobe playing 20 minutes, 25 minutes a game. He kept him on the bench. 
He really wanted to develop him. He wanted to take his time with him. I think that was hugely important. But, you know, by the end of Dell's run there, it just got stale, which happens with coaches. It just got stale. So um, they brought in Kurt Rambis briefly. They brought in Dennis Rodman to play power forward for kind of a disastrous little run. And then basically, you know, they just – here was Phil Jackson. He won six rings. Shaq wanted to play for him. Kobe wanted to play for him. He wanted to come to L.A. He was bored. He was retired but didn't like it. And, uh, you know, I think what, what Phil Jackson brought that maybe Dell lacked and definitely Kurt Rambis lacked as an interim coach is he brought sort of gravitas and he brought importance and he brought – He'd coached Michael Jordan. He'd coached Scottie Pippen. They won six titles together. He'd also been a pretty high-caliber player with the Knicks. And I just think his level of success spoke to those players in, in pretty big ways. And then they cracked through eventually um, in 2000, win their first championship. I was wondering about this. Um, you know, they didn't win the title for four years when Shaq was there. What were those four years before the championship? What was that like for Shaq? I know he was in the final to Orlando just a couple years prior. I'd say it had to be frustrating not being able to get in the, the finals uh, for four years. Um, did that have any effect on him? Well, it was three years. It was, uh, it was uh, 96, 97, 97, 98, 98, 99, yeah. and then they won in 2000. So it was three years. Um, yeah, it was super frustrating because, you know, in Orlando, they were loaded. Like when he was with the Magic, they had Penny Hardaway, a point guard, and Nick Anderson and Dennis Scott. They were a good team, and he couldn't do it. And there comes a point where people start saying, you kind of see it with Carmelo Anthony, just as an example. Is this guy just not someone you can win with? He can put up big numbers, but you can't win. So then he comes to L.A., signs the biggest contract in NBA history, and you have these huge expectations, and it's not happening, and it's not happening, and it's not happening. And they fire a coach, and they bring in an interim coach, and they get rid of that coach. And, you know, people start asking, can you win with Shaq? Is he just a you know, a guy who, who's in it for the celebrity, not for the winning. Does he take it seriously enough? Why, why can't he improve his free throw shooting? Um, so finally winning it, uh, against Indiana, I mean, you know, it was a huge burden off of his back. He was genuinely relieved as much as he was happy just to be able to say, uh, have a resume that included winning championships. Yep. And, um, going into a little bit later into the, Kobe Shaq duo. You look at the last year, and that's also a really interesting year for me. Um, and a lot of little uh, what ifs. The Carl Malone and Gary Payton Lakers. When you look at that, that's probably in their prime, one of the probably the best team ever on paper. Um, if you have those guys in their prime, but obviously they were at the end of their careers, but they still had a lot of um, hype going into that year. What was the story of that year? I know that Carl Malone uh, missed a lot of games um, in the playoffs. Um, they just I, I've heard that the, they didn't take the Pistons serious enough. Um, what did you think about that year? Um, you know, funny. when I talked to Jeannie Buss about it, I said to her, um, I said to her, you know, um, why was that year such a disappointment? And she said something that kind of stuck with me. She said, what kind of world do we live in when making the NBA finals is a disappointment? Yeah. You know, like they didn't make the NBA finals. It's just kind of funny. I thought that's actually a pretty good point. Um, you know, Gary Payton was a terrible fit for the triangle offense because he was a dribble, dribble point guard. He was not a pass first point guard. He was a score first point guard. And also like you're bringing in two guys 
who um, who are very set in their ways as players, understandably. You know, like Carmelo and Gary Payton played for probably 40 years combined in the NBA. Like, the, it was unrealistic to think that, you know, this was just going to be smooth and easy. Um, it was Kobe's year when he was flying in and out of Eagle, Colorado because of sexual assault. You know, there's just a lot of stuff going on. And um, they reached the finals. They're playing Detroit. You know, Kobe really wanted to be a finals MVP. That definitely influenced him. I talked to players about it. He shot way more than he should have. Um, he just he was insufferable at that point. He really was insufferable as a teammate and a basketball player. And he was kind of threatening to leave and go play for the Clippers, and everything was a disaster. And, and they did overlook Detroit. Detroit was a really, really good team. They didn't have the superstars the Lakers had, but they had all these really good pieces. They fit well together. Rasheed Wallace... Tayshawn Prince, you know, Chauncey Billups. They were just a really well-put-together team. And uh, the Lakers slept on them, and they were tired, and they were beaten down, and they were old, and it didn't work out. Do you think a lot of it, though, um, was that they didn't really have a lot of rhythm? I know know, Carl Malone did miss a ton of games that year after he'd been, like, super reliable for most of his career, but once he really got up there in age, couldn't start hardly uh, stay on the court. Do you think that missing Carl Malone for most of the year really affected them getting their um, relationships down? I don't. I actually don't. I just think um, I just think the biggest issue was they were old. Yeah. You know, like, you could put a dream team together now. We could get Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, Dominique <laughs> Wilkins, and Michael Jordan together right now. We could put them together right now and sign them to NBA contracts. They'd be a dream team, right? But they would win zero games because they're old. Yeah. Um, it's just the same way. Like, they weren't, they were old. It would have taken a lot for, like, people say, oh, it's so unfortunate Carl Malone got hurt in the finals. Well, yeah, it was unfortunate, but it also was probably inevitable that one of those two guys, because they were, Carl Malone was 40 years old playing an NBA schedule. Body isn't the same when you get older. So I, I just think the major issue, honestly, was um, they were old. They were just old. And then after that season, um, the, obviously Kobe and Shaq had their big breakup. Shaq goes to Miami, and then it's really Kobe on his own. Um, he gets Lamar Odom back in that deal, but it's pretty much Kobe on his own until Pau Gasol gets there. Um, how did that? How did that really affect Kobe? I, I know he probably, I know he definitely wanted to be the leader in his own team, but was there much? Um, was there a lot of skepticism for him? Yeah, I mean, he broke up a freaking dynasty, and. You know, the Lakers weren't very good the next year. And it was obvious, you know, he said when he re-signed with the Lakers, he was asked in that press conference whether Shaq leaving had anything to do with him returning. And he said, no, he would have returned either way. Well, that wasn't true. Yeah. He was the number one, he was the reason Shaq was traded. The number one reason is, you know, he's made it clear he couldn't play with him. So, you know, he returns and there's a lot of blame going around. And there's certainly a lot of wonder whether this Lake organization is ever going to regain itself. Like, what the hell did you leave us with? And, you know, Karan Butler, Lamar Odom, like we gave up Shaq for these parts. But I actually think Kobe's legacy overall was really helped um, by it. You know, like he showed he could, I mean, he basically willed a collection of very good but not amazing players to two more NBA championships. So, and he wanted to get out of Shaq's shadow and he got out of Shaq's shadow. I don't, I don't think the way he did it was overly wonderful. I think it's kind of impressive at the same time. I know Kobe and Shaq, I saw the interview a few years ago where they talked about if they'd stayed together, they won a lot of 
would have won several more championships. Do you think that's true? I know Shaq was getting a little bit older, and in Miami, uh, Wade was really the number one whenever they won the championship in 06. Do you think if they had stayed together that they could have won one or two more? See, I think it's a little bit like asking, you know, if I had 12 fingers, would I be a better piano player? Like, probably, but it's not possible. And I just think it wasn't possible anymore for Kobe to play with Shaq. Like, it wasn't happening anymore. He was he was not having it. He wasn't doing it. He didn't want to do it. He was done. Like, he was just done. So, if Kobe had wanted to play with Shaq and had wanted Phil Jackson to return, could it have worked out? Certainly. I mean, they were two of the five best players in the NBA, and they were playing for the best coach in the NBA. But I just don't think it was possible because Kobe was done, and he was checked out, and he was going to leave for the Clippers. So if they'd re-signed Shaq, Kobe was gone. So it was it was just not possible. All right. Tonight is a big night in the NBA. Um, we've got a Game 7 in the Western Conference semifinals, the Nuggets and Clippers. I'm a Laker fan. I'm a big Laker fan, so I'm rooting for the Nuggets tonight. Um, what are you thinking about tonight's game? All right, first of all, I, th- I think you need to re-examine what you're rooting for. Because, uh, you know, as a sports writer, and when I used to cover events a lot, I'd be rooting for the best story. Yeah, Like, that's where I used to root for the best story. I wouldn't root for teams, I'd root for the best story. Clippers-Lakers is an awesome... You know what I mean? Like, how could you root against that? That's amazing. Maybe you're a little worried about the Clippers, which I would understand, because obviously Denver's an easier... Yeah. You'd rather play Denver than the Clippers in the, in the finals. Um, I think the Clippers are going to win. I think Kawhi Leonard is freaking – he's just one of the hardest players I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. He just is. And it's hard to imagine him losing a game seven to Denver. But um, I think the, whoever, whoever matches up with the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals is, are, are in trouble. I think the Lakers right now are really clicking. And I love the uh, – I love Vogel's usage of big men or lack of usage of big men. I love adjustments like that, like seeing the team you're playing against and just saying, all right, this is how we need to do it. I know you guys are used to playing X number of minutes. We need to change for this series. And it's a sign of a good team. It's a sign of having good veterans that you um, that you allow yourselves to be used that way. So I just there's something about the – this feels like the Lakers here. It really does. I really hope so. Um, yeah, <laughs> when I think about the, um, the matchup with the Clippers, though, I do think we match up a lot better than Nuggets because the Nuggets aren't as good of a basketball team as the Clippers. Um, But, you know, the Clippers are, if you kind of – it's not in the same way as the 2004 Lakers because they're actually younger, but it's kind of like just throwing talent together. I don't think these guys really click together. Like Marcus Morris, you'll see him, like, um, just throwing up random shots um, and taking away the ball from Kawhi and Paul George. Um, Sure. I like Zubots with them. He does a good job. But then um, Lou Williams and then Pat, um, Montrez Harrell coming in, scoring a lot of points, which is good. It looks really good on paper, all their numbers. But then you think about it, taking away shots from um, Kawhi and Paul George. Um, but it is nice having – it is a luxury to have those guys whenever you can't have them on the floor. But I just think that it's really just throwing a lot of talent together. But, you know, if you look at the Lakers, like – a lot of their guys they actually fit a need. I mean, Danny Green was signed; it's fifteen million a year, and it still frustrates me and a lot of Laker fans right now. He's in a cold stretch, but he's starting to get out of a little bit. The last couple of games against Houston, he started to uh, start he- heating up from three. But um, he provides; he's a wing defender, and we don't really have uh, many options to throw at people on the wing. We have Alex Crusoe, and he'll be guarding threes 
at times. We just don't have it really on the wing. But Danny Green fits a role. Alex Caruso is not going to give you 20 points uh, ever. I was at a game a few years ago. I was at the – it was actually – it was last year. Uh, Lakers and Clippers and Caruso went off for 32 in just absolute garbage time in the NBA. It's whenever uh, LeBron went yeah. out and wasn't playing. So he's not going to give you that uh, very often, if ever. Um, but he can. you can look up. He can have a bad shooting night, and he'll give you 8 to 10 points, have five or six deflections. I mean, he just really fits in really well with that team. Um, and you talked about like the centers. I've really Vogel has done a very good job um, adapting. I didn't know if he was going to adapt or not. Um, but when watching his um, comments in the um, um, in the press, um, he actually talked about like he will a uh, luxury of this team is that they can adjust. Um, I know that in since he's been in Indiana, he likes to have the traditional big, the Roy Hibbert. Um, so. It was interesting. I was glad that um, he did uh, switch with Morris in the lineup. And I'm curious on this next round, if it's Clippers, if he decides to go small again. Because it really did work out for the Lakers whenever they went with Morris at the five. Um, but I'm not sure if they really want to do that with Zubats on the floor. And if uh, AD wants to guard um, a guy who really stays in the paint more like Zubats. Yeah, I don't know. I, um, I just uh... – you know who I, the guy who I've really come to love and respect is Dwight Howard, whose reputation really took a hit over the past years. And I just think he's become this like sage, important bench guy who's willing to play a role. And a lot of veterans struggle with that. And I, I, I just, in a lot of ways, he symbolizes what's unique about this team. You have a lot of veterans willing to take reduced roles just to be a part of something. Yeah. And then out east tonight, we've got game one of. Um... Heat and Celtics, and a lot of people have been um, thinking about this series. It, I think it's a, uh, a toss-up. It could go either way. I think the Celtics obviously have more talent, um, but the Heat, I think Jimmy Butler is probably going to be the best player in this series. Um, how do you think that this series is going to pan out? Um, I actually think the Celtics are, uh, are the better team and a little more battle-tested. And a little more playoff experience. I think it'll be a good series. I mean, I don't I, obviously I don't know who's going to win. I'm not a psychic, but I uh, I would pick Boston, which would lead to a very exciting Boston Lakers yes. finals, which would be kind of cool. I'd be very excited for that. Yeah. Okay, Jeff. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I've really enjoyed talking to you, and I'm really excited to check out your book. Comes out a week from the day. I will definitely yep. be getting in and reading it. Um. So thank you so much, and I hope that uh, it turns out pretty well. Thank you so much for having me on, man. Best of luck to you. Thank you for listening. Check out all my shows on BallTalkPod.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, and all social media outlets.